The following broadcast is brought to you by the Congregation of People's Baptist Church of Folkestone, Georgia. You can find this broadcast on our website, www.pbcfolkestone.com. Good morning. My name is Nathan Irie. I'm the pastor at People's Baptist Church in Folkestone, Georgia, and I'm glad you could join us this morning for the Bible study today. Now, the last broadcast that we were on the air, we spent a little time going over the subject of repentance and specifically trying to define what repentance was or what repentance is, I should say, and the fact that repentance is not a work. There seems to be some kind of misunderstanding this day and age that repentance is something that has to be done. And this is being defined in this manner by people on both sides of the fence, those folks that believe that repentance is necessary, as well as being defined this way by folks who believe repentance is not necessary for salvation. And it's just an erroneous concept to think that repentance is a work. And we took you through some scripture last week. I, I won't spend a whole lot of time reviewing those things, but I would like to just bring them up very briefly. I'd like to point out to you, if you remember, that in Exodus chapter 32, the Bible says that the Lord repented him of the evil that he thought to do to Israel, and that was because Israel had made him mad, and he was ready to wipe them out. He was ready to kill them all and start over with Moses. And you, hopefully you know the story that Moses interceded on behalf of the children of Israel and said, Lord, don't forget the covenant that you made with Abraham and Isaac and his son Israel and do what you said you're going to do. And the Bible said that the Lord repented him of the evil that he thought to do to Israel. Now, having said that, when you look in Exodus chapter 32, you notice that the Lord had not done anything up to that point other than expressed intent to do something. The Lord had an attitude. He was angry. He was frustrated. And when Moses got on his knees and began to intercede on behalf of God's nation, then the, the Bible says that he repented. The Lord repented him of the evil that he thought to do to Israel. Essentially, he changed his mind. He changed the way that he was looking at things. And that is probably by far one of the best definitions of repentance. Now, when it comes to repentance for men, there, there is no doubt that it includes a man's emotions. It, in, it includes a lot of things. And hopefully by what we plan on looking at today is the effect of repentance. And hopefully you can see that there is there are a lot of things that are changed when a man undergoes the process of repentance. We covered also last week during the broadcast that Paul himself, Paul terms himself as the apostle to the Gentiles in the book of Romans. And so Paul himself, when preaching to the Gentiles, that's us that are not Jews, when he preached to the Gentiles, Paul himself preached a message of repentance. And that's found in a couple of places. Number one, it's found in Acts chapter 26, Acts chapter 26, verse 20, he said, speaking to King Agrippa, he said, I showed first unto them of Damascus and at Jerusalem throughout all the coasts of Judea and then to the Gentiles that they should repent and turn to God and do works meet 
for repentance. So Paul, when preaching to the Gentiles, his message was repent. And then you go back a little bit further into the book of Acts in Acts chapter 20. And when you come to Acts chapter 20, according to verse 17 in Acts 20, Paul is speaking to the elders at the church of Ephesus. Now, Paul wrote a letter. He wrote an epistle to the church at Ephesus. That is in your King James Bible, known as the, the epistle to the Ephesians. It's, it's the book of Ephesians. And there's a verse in Ephesians chapter 2, verse 8. It says, For by grace are you saved through faith, and that not of yourselves, it's a gift of God, not of works. Not of works. Did you hear what I said? It says it's not of works, lest any man should boast. And yet in Acts chapter 20, verse 20, Paul is speaking to the elders at the church of Ephesus. He's getting ready to say goodbye. He said, I've kept back nothing that was profitable unto you, but have showed you and have taught you publicly and from house to house, testifying both to the Jews and also to the Greeks, repentance toward God and faith toward our Lord Jesus Christ. So the message that's found in Ephesians chapter 2, verse 8 and 9, and the message that's found right here in Acts chapter 20, verse 21, where he said, repentance toward God, those two messages are not at odds with each other. And if you see that as a contradiction, I'm not sure what to tell you, but all I know is that the Bible's right, and if you disagree with the Scripture, you're wrong. It's really just that simple. It really is that simple. You say, well, I have a doctorate's degree or I have some kind of degree. Okay, great, then buy some airtime and explain it to us when you get a chance. But until that time, we're going to stick with the Scripture, and probably even if you explain it otherwise, we're still going to stick with the Scripture because the Bible said, let God be true and every man a liar. Now, something that is also equally noteworthy about the passage here in Acts chapter 20 is that the way that Paul words the statement, he says in Acts chapter 20, he says, I taught you repentance toward God and faith toward the Lord Jesus Christ. Now, I believe with all of my heart that a lot of the confusion on the matter of repentance is from putting a heavy emphasis on repentance from sin without ever mentioning repentance toward God. You notice, I tried to point it out there to you, he said it's repentance toward God and faith toward the Lord Jesus Christ. This is very similar to a hyper-emphasis on separation from some things, which I am not at all opposed to. I believe that the church of Jesus Christ, I believe that the Christian, for the sake of his testimony, for the sake of his own sanctification, he should be separated from some things. But separation from something is only going to get you so far if you're not separated unto some things. The Old Testament concept of this is found in the word consecration or dedication. The Bible says, I believe it's in the end of the book of Leviticus in the last couple of chapters there. It says, every dedicated thing is most holy unto the Lord. And when you come to Romans chapter 1, Paul's testimony about himself is Paul, a servant of Jesus Christ, called to be an apostle by the will of God, separated from, no, it's not separated from, it's separated unto the gospel. So separation from some things is only going to get you so far if you don't learn to become separated unto some things. Well, repentance from sin 
is not really what's going to do the job. What's going to do the job, and I, I speak of salvation, what's going to do the job is repentance toward God. Uh, when Paul and Barnabas came through a particular town in Acts chapter 14, they healed a man, and the people of the town came out to uh, offer sacrifices unto these men, Paul and Barnabas, that is. And Paul and Barnabas stopped them, and they said, Look, the thing, the message that we're preaching is that you should turn from these vanities unto the living God. Well, if they turn from these vanities without turning to God, then what's, what's left to turn to? Other vanities. See, a lot of folks will put down smoking, but they'll pick up drinking. A lot of folks will put down heroin, but they pick up tobacco. It's, it, it's a never-ending cycle. The thing that you're going to have to do is you're going to have to turn to Jesus Christ. There's an old song that says, Turn your eyes upon Jesus, look full in his wonderful face, and the things of this earth will grow strangely dim in the light of his glory and grace. Well, that's the repentance that we're talking about. The repentance that we're talking about is not just turning away from some things. It's turning to the Lord Jesus Christ. Let me tell you, dear friend, there's a lot of folks, there are many folks that have turned from some things, but they've never turned to Jesus. And you can turn from whatever iniquity you think you need to turn away from, but if you don't turn to Jesus, turning away from that iniquity is not going to do anything for you. And then we also looked in Job chapter 42, I believe, in the last broadcast and mentioned this thing about Job. He went through the process of saying, I abhor myself and repent in dust and ashes. Well, when he came to this place of repentance here in Job chapter 42, Job wasn't really doing anything per se. He was sitting in the ash heap, uh, pouring out his complaint to his friends. Of course, with friends like Job had, who needs enemies? Here's some fellows that came to try to comfort him. And they were basically spending all their time telling him that God's essentially messing you up because of all the iniquity in your life. And when you get down to the end of Job chapter 42, the Lord really has a beef with those fellas. The Lord tells those fellas, you better go to Job and ask him to pray for you because I'm mad at you. I'm not going to listen to your prayers. It's one of the most interesting things in the book of Job to me. But Job is not repenting of something that he had done. He had not done any particular uh, egregious wickedness. He was an upright man, one that feared God and eschewed evil. And the Lord in the beginning of the book of Job uh, turned, turned the devil loose on him, so to speak, and let the devil tear his life apart. And it really disturbed Job, obviously. Well, there wasn't some egregious wickedness in Job's life, but what it did is it brought out an attitude. It brought forth it on the surface something that was going on in Job's heart. And when God gets done talking to Job, Job comes to the place, he says, boy, I abhor myself and repent in dust and ashes. And so right there is where I'm going to start to dive into the idea of the effect of repentance, what repentance does. I'm in my place here in Job chapter 42, and I'm going to start back at verse 1. The Bible said, Then Job answered the Lord and said, I know that thou canst do everything, and that no thought can be withholden from thee. Who is he that hideth counsel without knowledge? Therefore 
have I uttered that I understood not things too wonderful for me, which I knew not. Now, you've kind of got to get the context of what Job is talking about. Here in Job chapter 38, you can begin to see the Lord deal with Job. In Job 38, verse 1, the Bible said, Then the Lord answered Job out of the whirlwind and said, Who is this that darkeneth counsel by words without knowledge? The attitude that God had towards Job. Job is sitting here in the ash pile, weeping and really complaining. And far be it from me to throw stones at the man. The man had all this wealth. He was doing the right thing. God was blessing, was blessing him for it. And then the Lord turned the devil loose on Job. And Job really began to get very cross with the Lord and said, Why is all of this happening to me? I haven't done anything wrong. Job's friends came to him and said, none of this stuff would happen to you if you were living right. There's some kind of secret iniquity that you're harboring. And Job maintained his innocence. He said in one place in the book of Job, he said, I maintain my integrity. I hold it fast. And it sounds like most people that you deal with nowadays. Sounds like a lot of church folks, to be quite honest with you. Well, when there's a young man that speaks up in, in the book of Job, his name is Elihu, and he starts his argument in Job chapter 32. And when he gets done, the judge of all judges finally opens his mouth. That's God in heaven. And he opens up the dialogue. The It's really not a dialogue. It's a monologue. It's a one-way conversation. God is getting ready to put Job through school. And he asks, he opens up the session, the school session, with one question. That question in modern terms would be like this. Who are you? That's what he says in Job 38 verse 2. Who is this that darkeneth counsel by words without knowledge? God's telling Job, listen, I hear everything that you're saying and you're running your mouth and saying all these words and all you're doing is you're taking counsel and you're making it dark by words without knowledge. God's telling Job, you don't have any idea what you're talking about. Job's asking for an answer throughout the book of Job. And the thing that the Lord portrays to Job is, look, where were you when I made all of this stuff that you see? Where were you when I slung the stars out into existence? Where were you when I made the sun and the moon? Where were you when I brought forth the rivers and made the trees and all of this stuff? God said, "Where were you? who are you? God goes through several chapters and he, he just... He gives Job a barrage of questions like these, like this stuff that you find here in Job chapter 38. And when he gets down to Job 42, Job finally opens his mouth and he says, I know that thou canst do everything and that no thought can be withholden from, from thee. Who is he that hideth counsel without knowledge? Therefore have I uttered that I understood not. Job said, Lord, I've been talking about things I had no idea. You see the attitude change? You see how it was before? Well, man, I'm a good guy, and I'm holding on to my integrity. I don't have time to read through the entire book of Job, but it'd do you a great lesson. It would do you a great uh, benefit if you went back and read the entire book of Job and really tried to hang on to what was going on in that book. And then to see Job's attitude change in Job chapter 42 Verse 4, he says, Here I beseech thee, and I will speak. I will demand of thee, and declare thou unto me. I have heard of thee by the hearing of the ear. 
Now, that's like a lot of people. They've, they've heard about God. They've heard about Jesus Christ. But look at what Job said. He said, but now mine eye seeth thee. And here's the effect. Wherefore I abhor myself. I abhor myself and repent in dust and ashes. You know what that means. Oh, my soul, I'm about to make some of you very angry if you're still listening. Some of you probably couldn't get past me telling you to buy some radio time. But nonetheless, you know what that means? That means in the, in the biblical concept of repentance, there is no room for self-esteem. That's what it says. Paul said, I, or Job said, I abhor myself, I hate myself, and repent in dust and ashes. Now, if you want to take the modern psychologist's view or the modern psychiatrist's view, then help yourself and have some self-esteem. But you won't find that concept anywhere in the scripture. You know what you'll find in the scripture? You won't find no self-esteem. You'll find Christ-esteem. You know what else you'll find in the scripture? You won't find self-esteem. You'll find esteeming others better than yourself. All of this bragging and all of this vainglory that you engage in and bragging about your talents and bragging about your abilities, which None of that stuff you got by yourself. God gave you the strength. God gave you the power. God gave you the intelligence to attain those things. But when a man comes in full view of the God of eternity, he doesn't stand up straight and brag about himself. He gets down on his face and he buries his head under the carpet and says, Oh, my soul, what have I been thinking? What have I been doing? Now, if that's the truth, and I believe with all my heart it is, you know what that means? That means most folks who say that they've undergone a process of repentance, of saving faith in the Lord Jesus Christ, there's something that's very weak and very lacking about their profession of faith. I don't understand this profession of faith that brings people down to an altar, and when they walk away, there's no contrition, there's no humility, there's no brokenness. It's just as much pride as before they came. There's just as much rebellion in their heart as before they came. There's no change in their morality. That's not repentance. That is not the biblical view of repentance. The overall temperature of Job chapter 42 is an exalted view of God and an abased view of Job himself. And let me throw something else in there. It's an abased view of himself, not others. A man having undergone the process of repentance has no problem putting others first. Look at what it says in Job chapter 42. Job says in verse 6, I abhor myself and repent in dust and ashes. And after that, the Lord came to Job's friends. He came to Eliphaz, the Temanite, and he said, My wrath is kindled against thee and against thy two friends, for ye have not spoken of me the thing that is right, as my servant Job hath. That's, a, that's amazing to me. Job was right in what he was saying, but he was wrong in his attitude. He was wrong in the way that he was perceiving God. That should be the defining mark of repentance. Some of you folks, you look at God in a, in a particular way. There's, you, you believe that he exists, but you're looking at him wrong. You think that he's a big kiss in the sky. 
you think that, well, there isn't a God that's to be feared. Boy, you've got another thing coming to you. I'm telling you, my friend, the Bible says in the book of Proverbs chapter 1, the fear of the Lord is the beginning of knowledge. That's why a lot of folks know a lot less than what they claim they actually know. Well, here in Job 42, God comes to jo- or he comes to Eliphaz and he says, you better go to Job and have him pray for you. And you know what? Job's come into contact. He's, he has seen God for who he is. And when those friends come to him and say, Job, would you pray for us? You know what Job does? Job doesn't sit around and say, no, nah, man, I ain't praying for you. You've done nothing but picked on me for the last 30 chapters. That's not the attitude of Job. Job humbles himself and he gets down there. The guy is sitting in an ash heap. The guy has got sackcloth on his shoulders. The guy is weeping. The guy is crying because he's lost his entire family except for his wife. And his wife is giving him a hard time telling him to curse God and die. And in the middle of it all, Job humbles himself because he's already humbled himself before God. He's already repented towards God. And so he humbles himself for his friend's sake, and he offers a sacrifice for his friends. And the Bible says immediately at that moment, God turned the captivity of Job when he prayed for his friends. You say, what is that? That's an effect of repentance. That's an effect of repentance. Look with me, if you would, in 2 Corinthians chapter 7, very quickly. 2 Corinthians chapter 7 and Paul the apostle gives us some insight about one of or or about the effect of repentance. Second Corinthians chapter seven. I don't have time to go through the entire chapter, but Second Corinthians chapter seven is a very rich chapter. I encourage you to do some study in Second Corinthians seven. But look here in verse nine, the Bible said, Now I rejoice, Paul speaking, not that ye were made sorry, but that ye sorrowed to repentance. Now watch what he does. He says, for ye were made sorry after a godly manner that ye might receive damage by us and nothing. For, verse 10, godly sorrow worketh repentance to salvation, not to be repented of, but the sorrow of the world worketh death. So he makes a distinguishing mark between the sorrow of the world and the sorrow that works repentance to salvation not to be repented of. There's a godly sorrow, but there is also a worldly sorrow. The world, the sorrow of this world, he said in verse 10, works death. But the godly sorrow that there is, that a man can have in his heart, it works repentance to salvation not to be repented of. Now you say, what is that, what is that sorrow of the world? Worldly sorrow is a man admitting that he's wrong. He's admitting that his actions are wrong, but he refuses to come to God. You remember back there in Acts chapter 20? Well, it's repentance toward God. A great example of this in your New Testament in Matthew chapter 27, I believe it is, is a man by the name of Judas. Judas was one of the disciples of Jesus Christ. He was one of the 12, but he actually betrayed Jesus Christ. And in Matthew 27, he finally recognizes that he was wrong. But the wording of Judas's recognition of that fact is very interesting. The Bible says in Matthew 27, verse 3, 
Then Judas, which had betrayed him, talking about Jesus Christ, then Judas, which had betrayed him, Jesus Christ, when he saw, when Judas saw that he was condemned, repented himself and brought again the 30 pieces of silver to the chief priests and elders saying, I have sinned and that I have betrayed the innocent blood. See, he recognizes what he's done is wrong. He recognizes that he made a mistake and they said, what is that to us? See thou to that. And he cast down the pieces of silver in the temple and departed and went and hanged himself. Well, see, that's not a godly sorrow that worketh repentance to salvation that needs not to be repented of. That's a sorrow that works death. It's just an example. Another example of this is Esau. Esau in the Old Testament, he sold his birthright to his brother. And that was a spiritual blessing of sorts. And when it came time to inherit the physical blessing from his father, Jacob conned Esau out of his physical blessing. And the Bible said in the book of Hebrews that Esau sought a place of repentance. He looked for it, but he couldn't find it, though he sought it carefully with tears. The Bible says specifically, Hebrews twelve seventeen. For you know how that afterward, when he, speaking about Esau, would have inherited the blessing, he was rejected, for he found no place of repentance, though he sought it carefully with tears. You say, what What was the problem? Wrong kind of sorrow. It was the wrong kind of sorrow. It was a sorrow that was attached with, oh, my soul, I'd really like to avoid these consequences consequences that are coming my way. I really would like to figure out how to escape these consequences. It wasn't a godly sorrow that works repentance. Well, in 2 Corinthians, Paul gives you earmark evidence. He, he, he gives you fruit by which you can spot a real repentance. In 2 Corinthians chapter 7, verse 11, he said, for behold, this self-same thing that you sorrowed after a godly sort, what carefulness it wrought in you. Yea, what clearing of yourselves. Yea, what indignation. Yea, what fear. Yea, what vehement desire. Yea, what zeal. Yea, what revenge. In all things ye have approved yourselves to be clear in this matter. Now, let me ask you something. If you've sincerely gotten right with God, if you've sincerely trusted Christ as your Savior, or you have gotten saved and then you backslid and then you got right with God again, you rededicated your life as some, as some people term it. When you got right with the Lord, don't you remember that carefulness that it bred in you when you got up off your knees and you got done confessing your sin and saying, God, I've really made a mess out of my life, Lord, or at the moment of salvation, God, I'm a sinner. Please come into my heart and save me. However it is that you prayed, do you remember when you got up off your knees and you thought, man, I got to be careful now. There was something in the back of your mind that was just very cautious, very circumspect. Well, that's, that's what happens when a man repents. Paul said, yea, what clearing of yourselves. See, when you got up off your knees, not only did it breed carefulness, but there was also a sense in which, man, I'm clean. Hey, man, I got my slate wiped clean all my sins are under the blood of Jesus Christ. I've been forgiven. See, it's a clearing. It's a clearing. Yea, what indignation, Paul said in that same verse. Made you mad about the things of this world. Made you mad about the devil. Made you mad about your own iniquity. It's an in indignation. 
Yea, what fear? Afraid to go back to that old life, afraid to do the things that you once did. Yea, what vehement desire, what zeal? Do you remember the zeal that you once had? You know what all this is? This is all evidence of repentance. It's the effects of repentance. These things in themselves are not repentance itself. This is what comes out of a heart that has repented. The Bible says, Paul speaking to Timothy in one of his epistles, he said, Nevertheless, the foundation of God standeth sure, having this seal. It's a mark. In those olden times, they would use seals, and that was an impression. It was a signification of, hey, this message is from somebody. This letter is from somebody. They'd drop that wax, and they would have a seal, maybe the king's ring or the king's signet, and that king would push that seal into that wax, and it would leave an impression. Well, here's the seal. Here's the foundation of God standing sure having this seal. It's a two-sided seal. Number one, the Lord knoweth them that are his. Well, that's not something that you have a whole lot of control over. That's just something that is true because you've been placed in the body of Christ. You've trusted Christ as your savior. You are kept eternally secure. And the Lord knows if you're his, the Lord knows whether or not you're saved, but there's also something else. The Lord knoweth them that are his and let everyone that nameth the name of Christ depart from iniquity. Well, see, a man that has trusted Christ as a Savior, a man that has undergone that process of repentance, a man that has believed on the Lord Jesus Christ, he should have undergone the process very similar to what Job went through. I abhor myself. I repent in dust and ashes. It's not the same way that it used to be. A man doesn't walk away from seeing the God of eternity. A man doesn't walk away from looking at what Christ did for him at Calvary because of that man's own transgression against God, because of his own disobedience toward God. A man doesn't walk away from Calvary. He doesn't walk away from getting a glimpse of God and walk away with pride in his heart. When Isaiah the prophet in the book of Isaiah, when he saw the Lord high and lifted up, and the Bible says his train filled the temple. You know what the words were that came out of his mouth? Woe is me. Woe is me. That wasn't a thing of complaint. It was an admission of how insignificant he really was. And my, 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 how that goes against the grain of what's being pushed in our society today. You know what's being pushed in our society today? It's love yourself. It's all about you. If it feels good, do it. Make sure that you live life to the fullest, even now to the extent of violating someone else's life. That's the idea that's being pushed. That's the, that's the concept that's coming out of Hollywood. And my soul, is it any wonder? Is it any wonder why people are so dissatisfied? Is it any wonder why, why the world is going as nuts as it is? It's because there's been no repentance. It's because there's been no repentance. You know what the message of Jesus Christ is to you, dear sinner? It's repent. It's the same message that John the Baptist preached. Now, there are some things that are different about the message we preach today in John the Baptist. But in essence, the message was repent. Jesus himself preached repent. You know what Paul preaches? Repent. You know what every God-called gospel preacher preaches this day and age? Repent. 
it's repentance toward God and faith toward the Lord Jesus Christ. Listen, have you undergone that process today? Have you gone through the place where you've seen yourself the way that God sees you and say, boy, I abhor myself and repent in dust and ashes? Have you ever trusted Christ? Have you ever saw yourself as a sinner and bowed your old unworthy head and said, God, please be merciful to me, a sinner? If you haven't done that, would you do that today? Would you do that today? And if you do that, give us a call. Let us know. Let us know that you've trusted Christ. We'd like to send you some material to help you get grounded as a Christian. God bless you. Thank you for listening. Have a great day. This broadcast was brought to you by People's Baptist Church of Folkestone, Georgia. This broadcast and information for the church may be found on our website, www.pbcfolkestone.com.